The first component of social intelligence that we will attempt to improve is attunement. The following two methods can help us to stay attuned to emotions. The first is to recall experiences that are similar to those of other people. That was Konstantin Stanislavski, the famous theater practitioner who used this method to help actors generate real empathy. Reliving experiences in our minds can evoke our true emotions. Doing this at the same time, someone is talking about one of their personal experiences allows us to develop a psychological closeness with others and understand their minds. The second method is also quite simple, smile more often. The human brain prefers smiling faces and recognizes them faster and more easily than faces with other expressions. Neuroscientists call this the happy face advantage. Even two complete strangers can create a meaningful connection by sharing a few moments of happiness together. The above is an introduction to all the things you need to do to stay attuned to the emotions of other people. Now let's discuss methods of improving your abilities to distinguish one feeling from another and avoid negative social contagion. The source of social or emotional contagion in our brain is that our emotions are permeable. That is due to the unconscious action of mirror neurons, we affect and are affected by the emotions of everyone in our environment. Remember the two types of neural systems we talked about earlier? Goldman tells us that the low-road neural system responsible for emotion responds several times faster than the high-road neural system responsible for reason. This means that rational analysis has not yet begun when an emotion is received or emitted. To avoid negative emotional contagion, we have to count on the help of our high-road system. Research expert Kevin Oxner confirmed this view with a photo of a woman standing in front of a church, crying. Oshner showed this photo to a volunteer and discovered that they felt a sense of grief because they thought it depicted a funeral. After Oshner instructed the volunteer to carefully examine the photo again, the volunteer realized that it was a photo from a wedding. This instantly morphed the volunteer's own sadness into delight. The principle underlying this is that the careful second examination provides the high-road system with enough time to properly evaluate the photograph and adjust to the correct emotional output. Goldman also mentions that negative emotions stem from part of the brain, called the amygdala. When we are infected with unwanted emotions, the amygdala becomes very active. Rethinking things helps the amygdala calm down, thus avoiding too much negativity. But sometimes no matter how much we think about something, we still find it distressing. For example, when others complain or lash out at us for no reason, we are prone to respond with the same or even higher level of aggression. In this regard, Goldman suggests that we can try to allow ourselves to go over a memory or experience that triggers bad emotions. Through practice, we can enhance our tolerance toward unwanted emotions. This means we won't be hijacked by negative feelings when a similar situation occurs in the future. Goldman gives the example of an American traffic cop in New York City. The officer was so annoyed at being verbally abused by motorists that she could no longer go about her work calmly, so she went to seek therapy. Her therapist then replicated the situation with the same words and with increasingly intense tones and gestures. The traffic cop's task was to keep herself as calm as possible. At the end of her treatment, the traffic cop could handle any verbal abuse calmly and was no longer susceptible to adverse emotions. Goldman says that this therapy is effective because memories can be reconstructed. This approach helps clients see painful experiences from a different perspective, which helps them to record these memories in their brain. 
Over time, this diminishes the impact of negative experiences. Time is an important concept when developing social intelligence. In short, the author's view here is the sooner, the better. Due to brain plasticity, experiences during infancy and childhood can reshape neural pathways, which lead to change in one's personality and behavior. The third rule mentioned in this book for developing social intelligence is to cultivate your child's resilience as early as possible. By resilience, we mean the ability to regain peace from painful emotions. Many parents believe that if their children can avoid all setbacks, they can grow up happy. But these parents don't realize that protecting their children from harm deprives them of the opportunity to find joy on their own. As a matter of fact, children regulate their emotions more effectively when not seeking perpetual happiness. Among the abilities necessary for regulating emotion, resilience is undoubtedly the most important one. So how do we shape our child's resilience? First, parents need to offer children more love. Many studies have found that the more love kids receive in childhood, the better their emotional regulation and resilience once they reach adulthood. Second, in the course of everyday life, parents should teach children how to restore their calm and optimistic mood. For example, when children encounter a setback, parents can help them see it in a completely different light and with a more positive attitude. This enables children to improve their capacity to cope with obstacles.